Hi, I'm Mike McMahon, and you are listening to The Greatest Track. I'm only going to tell you this once. That is now your chair, Captain. My friends, The Great Experiment. Down on the Lord, thanks, thanks. Hit it. Trick, trick, Would you look at that? The Greatest Trick, trick. And you people, you're all astronauts. Some kind of star. Trick, trick. Welcome to the greatest trek. No, there is no the in it, is there? Okay, I'm going to take it again. <laughs> Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of the Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Mm, loving that theme music, Adam. Yeah, slaps. All right, thanks to the goose for making a new slappy. Another motherfucking slappy. Yet again, we've harangued the goose <laughs> into more work for us. I was talking to the goose on the phone the other day. You know that he's living that new puppy lifestyle now? No. Yeah, you and the goose got to start commiserating on uh, on new puppy life. Oh, yeah. I'd, I'd love to tell him about what happened last night <laughs> and this morning yeah. and all the rest. I called him and he picked up the phone and said, new puppy, who dis? Wow. I am going to have to get a hold of him. I mean, if only I had talked to him sooner, I would have talked him out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I know I could have done that. Yeah, it is a ridiculously cute looking puppy too. Just got to put that out there. I mean, do they have Ripley beat? That's a pretty tough one to beat. Ripley is also ridiculously cute. Yeah. There's lots of cute dogs around here. Yeah. The puppies are a 10, <laughs> but your sleep schedule is a... Negative eight. <laughs> they can bill me. <laughs> yeah, by the time this episode comes out, that could be true for me too, for reasons. Oh, dude. <laughs> yeah. And then I'll shut up about my puppy and the yeah, you, issues they cause forevermore. You won't be allowed to complain anymore. <laughs> That's right. I'd like to see you have a show without me complaining. <laughs> Adam, this almost never happens on, I mean, I don't think we ever did a mail call episode on our old podcast, The Greatest Discovery, but this is Greatest Trek and everything is possible. Wow. You know, you set the tone like this, Ben. Yeah. This is like directing the pilot episode. You're going to get Code 47 residuals for the rest of the series now. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, I wrote lyrics to the theme song, so I'll get paid every time the theme song gets played also. Oh, I can't wait to hear them. Captain, <laughs> I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm receiving a code 47. Verify. It is code 47, sir. Start lead emergency frequency. Captain's eyes only. So, yeah, I went to our P.O. box the other day, and this was in there, and it's addressed to Ben and Adam dash disco. So I assume that that's for for this show. I think that's a safe assumption. Unless the person sending the message thought we'd be uh, going out dancing. Yeah, maybe. Which is something I've never done and will never do. Oh, you got to go out dancing, Adam. Got to shake what your mama gave you. I don't, I don't feel comfortable dancing. <laughs> I'm like Picard and kids. <laughs> you should have done that a long time ago, Adam. Oh, yeah. Ernest in Courtdale, PA, sent this in. Uh, open this up. It looks like it's one of those hardcore tape jobs. I have to bring my pocket knife out to the studio today. Oh, great. There's another package inside the package. This is like a Christopher Nolan movie. <laughs> Ben is now breathing pure oxygen to open up the second package inside the package. We have a uh, one of these uh, storage boxes for cards. I'm going to open it up. This looks like it may have been drop shipped off of eBay. Okay. Oh, no. Thanks for buying on Amazon Marketplace. So somebody just... I don't know if this is from Ernest or, or Ernest just owns the company that sells this. <laughs> There's... This is just a receipt. This isn't like a letter or anything. Well, you're going to want to hold on to that in case what's inside that second box needs to be returned. This looks like Disco Season 1 trading cards, maybe. What? I didn't even know that they made trading cards of Star Trek Discovery. I didn't know that either. Are they two packs of the same 
cards or are they? We've got two bricks here. Yeah, I don't know if they're all the same or all different. I think they may be all the same. Are they stuck together? Because Lord knows that's how we like our Star Trek cards around here. I'm just basing this off the fact that the top of the top card and the bottom of the bottom card on both packs are the same. I haven't taken both out of their cellophane, but yeah, they're... This is a set of uh, Star Trek Discovery-themed trading cards. What are they about? Are they, like, episode cards or character cards? or? Yeah, here's an episode. There's a couple of episode cards here from Cephas Pachum Parabellum. Mm. A couple of Into the Forest I Go cards. Yeah, it looks like it's like a set of cards for each episode, maybe. Are there special cards, like hollow cards or, or signature cards or uh, cards with scraps of costumes? I am not seeing anything special. They are all episode cards, I think. Ah, here's Admiral Bob. So we could guess that Ernest, or an Ernest adjacent person, <laughs> the implication to these cards is that we would do a kind of card war with them. I think we, yeah, I think we could shuffle these and do a card war. I like that idea. If we wanted to. And that's another segment we could bring over onto this podcast, you know? We're at war. There's been no formal declaration of war. You know, at this point, you're going to be doing card solitaire because you have both decks over there. I know. Well, we're going to see each other tomorrow. I'll bring you your deck. We are going to see each other tomorrow. That just made me really happy to think about. Aw, buddy. Gonna go get some uh, Cheesecake Factory for reasons. Cheese, cheesecake. 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 Cheesecake Factory. Oh, no reason except we love it. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Well, Adam, I love Star Trek Lower Decks, and I'm really eager to get into the episode today. What do you say? I'm really eager to get into this new interstitial music. Mm, Yeah, let's do that first and then get into the episode. (laughs) It's Star Trek Lower Decks Season 3. Already Season 3. Episode 1. Grounded. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. Self-discovery. No. It's an episode, Ben, that gets a Cerrito-specific Star Trek brand pre-roll yeah. graphic. How neat is that? Are they going to do that for each series? Like, is, is Disco going to be the ship doing the flying in the Disco one? Ben, if they don't do that, it would be a scandal. <laughs> I think they have to do it. Yeah. I guess this is a new thing. Like, franchises have their own logo now. You know, they could never do this if one of the shows was based on a station. Right. Right? Like, if Deep Space Nine were a modern (laughs) new Star Trek television show, like, they don't fly the station around. And what are they going to do about Picard? It could be a runabout flying around, or in later seasons, the Defiant flying around. Yeah. Yeah. What is it? The... What's Rios' ship? The It's a uh, it's Picard's hanging mom. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Just whip whipping around at the end of the rope to make a Starfleet insignia? That's so fucked up. Why did they do that? She's still moving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a really dark choice by the Star Trek industrial complex. I noticed that they do this on uh, on Star Wars shows, though. There's like a Star Wars logo that plays before the Mandalorian or whatever. It should just be the Lucasfilm logo forever. That's the thing that gives you chills. Yeah. The glimmery Lucasfilm logo, that's fun. Nobody cares about those dumb helmets. Yeah. Fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck those helmets. I can't breathe in this thing. <laughs> every, every fucking lowered Honda Civic in my neighborhood presenting <laughs> sticker-based evidence to the contrary. <laughs> the thing I don't get about helmets is like... The Major League Baseball or National Football Leagueification of the merch in that way that like, it seems like it would be really cool to have a football helmet (laughs) or a a batting helmet. Oh, yeah. You you always see one at a silent auction like you can get this Rams helmet that, you know. But there's something so strange about owning a thing that you can wear that is very uncomfortable to wear that you'd never want to wear. Yeah, I have a Russian fighter pilot helmet in my office, and it's really <laughs> tiny. <laughs> and uh, For the tiny Russian heads, you're saying? Every friend that brings a kid over to see my office, the kid is like, what is that? Let me put that on. And then, like, it definitely doesn't fit on me. But, like, 
we've tried to put it on a couple of kids and it like doesn't even like these Rus- Russian fighter pilots must have been like, you know, like they, they recruited them from horse tracks or something. They're all <laughs> jockeys. Little kids like Dasvidanya, Uncle Ben. <laughs> <laughs> that's not blood. That's borscht. <laughs> oh, yeah. Your, uh, your in-flight meal and your MiG fighter jet, <laughs> often a small serving of borscht. Oh, yeah. That'll get you through. Comes in a packet. So uh, we start, once we're through this logo, with a salacious news report about the uh, the scandal surrounding Captain Freeman and her crew. This is a useful storytelling strategy, right? Give us a new story and catch us up. Yeah, it's kind of a last time on in a way, but it's yeah. new footage, new jokes, like uh, the crawl I thought was very funny. Lots of good bits in the, in the news crawl down at the bottom yeah. of the screen. Yeah. I love the detail of Captain Freeman not having her comm badge on in the file photo. Like, it's such an iconic, you know you're a crew person in trouble when you're not wearing the comm badge. Yeah. And uh, I loved the senior staff all being in, like, you know, big sunglasses and their civilian clothes trying to leave the courthouse and getting harassed by the no press. Comment. What did you hear? I said no comment. Please. A little did respect. Hit Please get the f*** out of our way. The high-collar jackets that Ransom and Shax wear are so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> when was the last time you wore a high-collar jacket? Like, it's such a look. I guess when I lived in New York and I needed to, like, protect my neck from the cold, I would sometimes put the collar up on my peacoat. And yeah, yeah, you look great when you do it. Like the coming out of the courthouse high collar jacket and sunglasses look Mm -hmm. iconic. Super iconic. I've never had a press scrum demanding answers from me. I don't think I could really handle that kind of pressure. I'd be like, let me explain everything. If we found ourselves in a press scrum, something has gone horribly wrong. <laughs> How does it feel to make a fool of yourself, Mr. Matlock? Lousy! One of the most salacious parts of this story is that there's actual surveillance footage of Freeman being on site on the planet surface of the Packled planet in Big Strong City, setting up the bomb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if no, nobody set her up the bomb. She did it herself, if you yeah. believe this footage. Yeah. And... Uh, this is pretty outrageous and results in the TV that we're watching this on getting smashed by a flung houseplant. Becker, screens can just be turned off, you know. Mariner's home with Admiral Freeman, and uh, she is pissed off about all this news. What is the, uh, the plant body count at the end of this scene? <laughs> it's pretty high. I can appreciate the houseplants. In this dwelling, it seems like the Freeman residence, pretty nice place to hang out, pretty great view. Probably just a billion slips of latinum a month in that part of San Francisco. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have to think in an ideal future, they've uh, run the tech bros out of town. God, you hope so. (laughs) You really do. The tension in the scene, outside of the destruction of so much of their home, all of these TV screens and potted plants destroyed is the conflict between Mariner and her father, like a man who represents the system that Mariner has so many doubts about. And her dad naturally rides for the idea that their system of government can be trusted in cases like these. Wouldn't somebody as high up in the establishment obviously argue for that opinion. We gotta have faith in Starfleet. The truth will come out. It's interesting how he does not take it personally when Mariner is so upset about the idea of trusting these institutions that they now have to for her mother's freedom. Right. They get this FaceTime from Admiral Buen Amigo, who apparently is Mariner's godfather also. Can I just say that... (laughs) Can I just say Buen Amigo sounds like the name of a family Mexican restaurant set in like the white part of town? (laughs) It does. It really does. (laughs) But yeah, they got like a Trump appointed judge. So they're really worried about what's going to happen with Captain Freeman's case. Like this is two admirals going like, this is not looking good. God, I would go to Buen Amigo so often. Like big fucking margarita, big Mm -hmm. hot plate. Oh, yeah. This is a place where the fajitas come out a-sizzling. This is a place 
where before you thought you had an idea of the largest hot plate of Mexican food you could imagine. Right. You were wrong. This thing has taken up like a third of the table. (laughs) (laughs) The towel that the surfer needs to wrap around his hand to hold such a plate. Yeah, right. Bathroom sized. There are dishes that only have bell peppers in them that still have a little chili next to them on the menu to warn people away. (laughs) Kind of a discouraging amount of old people, you notice, sitting around you. Yeah. God, the soup is really popular here. Yeah, I mean, there's just so many houseplants to get thrown. I was thinking about how the celebrity freakout of the future is, like, so much less big of a deal. Like, if you yeah. trash your hotel room, if you're... Like, the plants, it sucks for the plants, right? The plants are dying because of this. But, the like, replacing the TVs is no big whoop. It's been a long time since I felt the kind of technology envy that I felt in this scene. Just seeing all those little circuits on the side of these potted plants. I'm like, I bet they're not ever killing a plant Yeah, in this future. The pot tells you when the pH of the soil has gotten into a dangerous level. When are we getting there? Do you think big plant is against that? Big nursery wants us to keep buying plants to replace the plants that we kill. I put a couple of like smart home wall warts in my house so that I could like tell Siri to turn the lights on and off Mm -hmm. or whatever when we Mm -hmm. moved in. They fucking suck. They're always disconnected. It's always like, sorry, I'm still working on that. It's like, I can fucking turn on the the desk lamp on the side table way faster than Siri can. The future we've got fucking sucks. It blows. It's no good. (laughs) Makes me want to trash my hotel room. There's smash rooms, right? That's a business. Those exist. Yeah, there are. Yeah, you see them going to them on like reality shows sometimes. And they're like, uh, what could we have the characters doing while they talk about what a bitch Diana was at the party last week? Your smash room is made up exclusively of potted plants. (laughs) (laughs) People want a variety of things to smash. The greatest trick is yet to come. So uh, Mariner storms out with the proclamation that she is going to take matters into her own hands. And uh, we cut right to theme, which I noticed the combat scene in the credits now, in addition to Roms, Borgs, and Packlids, has a crystalline entity in there. And I really like the idea that by season seven, that's just going to be <laughs> a completely unmanageable scene <laughs> in the credits. I love it so much. I wonder if, uh, what season of TNG did they do the motion lines off of Star Trek The Next Generation? Was that five or six? I bet you anything once we get to that season, (laughs) that's what they'll do with the main title of Lower Decks. (laughs) When we come back, we're on the Boimler Raisin Estate, which there's a running gag in this scene that the other people that work at the Boimler Raisin Estate are... Hot babes that are super sprung for Bradward Boimler. Oh, I hate being home. And I couldn't, like, is this like a running gag that Boimler, like, has lots of romantic opportunities that he doesn't notice? Or was this just for this scene? I don't know. Like, there's something really funny about, like, a workplace populated by just the female characters at the beginning of a porn movie. (laughs) (laughs) But also that he's so oblivious to... Another person's interest in him really checks out. Yeah, but also Mariner seems oblivious to it too, which like I couldn't I couldn't wrap my head around this. I almost feel like they're gonna come back to the Boimler Raisin estate to explain what's going on with this. Like, is it like hollow workers that mm-hmm. like got, you know, the program got mixed with uh, somebody's tax documents folder or something? That's interesting. I definitely don't want to play the I wish they did this game in the show, but how surprised were you that you did not meet Boimler's family in a brother's sense on TNG? Family. Because it was an homage to that, clearly. The hat and and garb that Boimler is in are clearly an homage to brothers. Family. Yeah. But knowing Boimler's parents, I think, probably deserves an entire episode. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's like the episode where we get to meet Bashir's parents and you're like, oh. Right. 
<laughs> yeah. Save that for later. I think I'm in agreement with the show on this. <laughs> so the ship's logs all got lost when they went through that crazy debris field where they had to remove all the hull plating from the mm -hmm. Cerritos. So uh, there's nothing to corroborate Freeman's story that she was nowhere near Pac-Led Planet when this bomb went off and it's impossible for her to have said it. So uh, what Boimler is explaining to Mariner is that he keeps his own extremely detailed ship's logs, which include him repeating back the captain's log every day into his own iPad. And so they can go up to the ship and uh, and get it, and that will prove that Captain Freeman was saving Sonia Gomez and her crew and not bombing the packlets. This doesn't unlock all of their obstacles, but it does head them in a direction. I mean, what still remains is like they're grounded as a crew, so their credentials are ostensibly gone. Right. They don't know where the Cerritos is exactly, and if they were to find it, how would they get on board? What they decide is that Rutherford is going to be the key to all of this. Much like Webs. Right. We gotta have Webs. He's the key. <gasps> Rutherford! There were some engineers that were left on board, I guess. So Rutherford might know where the ship is. And uh, they catch up with Rutherford and Tendi on maybe a date at Cisco's restaurant. Oh, I wasn't thinking that this was that, but maybe. You know what I liked about it was that clearly Rutherford and Tendi were like, using their downtime in a fun way instead of being chased down courthouse steps or or picking <laughs> raisins or whatever. Yeah, they're really making the most of it and uh, not just throwing potted plants around rooms. Yeah, they're using their downtime in a healthy way. Or keeping their dicks weirdly dry despite what's going on all around them. Oh, sometimes the tension, though, Ben, the tension mm. can feel better than the release. Tension is a killer. Yeah. So you got to wait until the raisin shrivels up just so. Oh, yeah. You get that belt around the doorknob, <laughs> get that raisin shriveled up nice. <laughs> Tunnel vision starts to set in. Mm, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. The only thing better than that is a nice bowl of gumbo with hot sauce in it. Say gumbo. The Ketracel white hot sauce sent me down a rabbit hole, Ben. It's an exciting idea. I feel like we did see that in the uh, the trailer. Are they marketing this yet? I got that ice cream, that candy, that girl, that white, white, white. Well, if they are, I think it would blow off the top of the scale of hot ones, Ben, because Ketracel white hot is rated at 17 million Scoville heat units. <laughs> Do you know the amount of Scoville heat units of the hottest pepper on the scale, the Carolina Reaper? I don't. 2.2 million. Wow. Would you like to know how many Scoville units the hottest pepper spray is that law enforcement uses? Lay it on me, brother. 5 million. Wow. So this is more than three times the Scoville units of pepper spray. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Which kind of explains everything about Boimler's reaction here. Yeah. Boimler puts a couple of droplets in his gumbo, or maybe they're having jambalaya. I wasn't uh, looking super closely at the bowls, but uh, it's it's way too much for him. Hard to tell the difference at any cheesecake factory. Right. That's for sure. Yeah, that's true. I was one time talking to the proprietor of a roach coach in uh, New Haven, Connecticut. He like sold sandwiches out the side of a van, kind of a guy. That doesn't sound like somewhere you'd be. And uh, Giving him some notes about his business idea? Well, he had chili. Oh. And he said that uh, he had South Asian customers that really liked his chili because he would put a droplet of pure capsaicin in the chili. Wow. He was telling me that, like, he could put, like, he has a dropper. He showed me the, the bottle. It's inside, like, a child-safe medicine bottle, like the, you know, like the orange plastic with the white lid. Inside that, there is a dropper bottle. And he's like, I'll take the dropper bottle out and put one drop in a big, like, you know, six-gallon pot of my chili. And it's too hot for me. But I have South Asian customers that, like, that's the way they want it. I just looked it up. Pure capsaicin has a Scoville heat value of 15 million to 16 million. Fuck. <laughs> so that is Ketracel white hot. Yeah, there it is. We solved wow. it. You can get it today. <laughs> wow. I. It's probably best to keep it under lock and key. Yeah. 
If that's the case. Yeah. Damn. Only used with uh, eye protection and gloves. Damn. I mean, Mariner doesn't give a shit about this, but it's really driving Boims up the wall. And a nice little kick. Do you just not give oral for the rest of your life after chili <laughs> like that? That's it. Yeah. It's too dangerous. Yeah. I mean, you notice that Tendi and Rutherford didn't use any hot sauce, and that makes me think that this was a date. Your dental dam would look like that thing that uh, forest firemen wear, like when, <laughs> when the fire is coming down at them, when they've got to hide under the, the foil blanket. <laughs> I was thinking it would look like the deck plating in the Nostromo when they cut the <laughs> alien. <laughs> well, there's a new ship. She's got the right name. She's got the right name. Now you remember that, you hear so Rutherford knows the coordinates, and they're like, cool, well, we know where the ship is, but even knowing it, it's no easy feat getting there because we got to beam up, and there's only one transporter station to do it, and it's like a it's a highly, uh, you know, secret site. I like the efficiency of backstory here. Like, you think it would be easy to beam anywhere, but it's not. You need to find a beamer. Yeah, there are restricted coordinates, and... Uh, and so they go to this place where this special transporter is. And the way they set this up really made me think that the reveal was going to be Chief O'Brien. I thought so, too. It was a real switcheroo, and it was just Denny. Yep. Let me just get over here. Chief Carlton Dennis, at your service. I wasn't disappointed to find Denny here. Yeah. The unfortunately super nice old man with a sad backstory. <laughs> I love the tension here. Like, how dirty are you going to do, Denny? Yeah. Because in Star Trek Three, when they steal the Enterprise, the guy in the transporter bay that works with Uhura is so hateable. Yeah. It's so easy to lock that guy in a closet and transport out of there. Couldn't have been easier to justify to oneself. Go on. I'll just get in the closet. Just his haircut made me want to, you know, put him under lock and key. And this guy's wearing a cardigan over his Starfleet uniform. Yeah. That's how gentle Denny is. Yeah. And he's like, he, he's got a hobby. He loves restoring old transporters. Yeah, I'm a bit of a buffer buff. Yeah. He's got a dead wife. Oh, that poor guy. Yeah. But he's also suspicious as hell. <laughs> well, this is what I wanted to ask you. Was the phaser thing a bit or not? I think you could read it both ways. I kind of thought he was trying to lull them into a sense of trusting him before springing his test on them. The reason to believe it's it's real and not a bit is how they talk about him before entering the compound. They're like, this guy's ex-security and he kicks ass. Yeah. So yeah, Denny has them dead to rights. And when they kind of admit what they were there to do and that they lost their nerve to do it, He's super nice. He he replicates him up some soup, and they're all like, no, 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 thanks. We actually just ate. And uh, that's the end of the episode. <laughs> it's funny how quickly they commiserate over a problem that really isn't Denny's, but Denny is interested in helping them solve it. Yeah, Denny's cool. He'd just rather not be knocked over the back of the head. Denny's an old that watches the news compulsively, so he knows all about the Freeman trial, and he has a side. He also knows about this thing that is stopping transports off-world, which is this uh, cloud of creatures that is in transit between Earth and the moon right now. Verugament. Veruga what? It's been all over the news. He says that they have some kind of scattering field, and there's no way to transport. Even if I were to break protocol and help you guys because I like you, I couldn't do it. This is the moment where we get our second reference to historical Bozeman. And anytime anyone says anything about historical Bozeman, everyone's eyes get twinkly. Mm. This is a beloved place. Yeah. Rancher was so angry, he sent me to live at the Lutheran Orphanage in Bozeman. This is where they decide to go because there is a ride at the theme park uh, of uh, where the first warp flight took off from that actually takes you up into orbit. So they could get to the Cerritos by taking this ride. And so we go to Bozeman and we see this theme park and it's an opportunity for the show to do a bunch of bits about Disney adults. Every sense 
is tied into Star Trek First Contact here, like visually, auditorily, yeah, like the the way people are having fun. And you're right about the Disney adults stuff. I consider myself a Disney adult. Yeah, I'm not saying it's it's slamming them. I'm just saying right. it's like that is the like kind of joke that it is doing. Well, it definitely comes from a place of sincere appreciation because when you get into historical Bozeman and you see how it runs as a theme park, mm-hmm. when you see where they're walking when they walk through the line and then board the ride, right, and all of the cues and stuff, like it feels contemporarily theme parky yeah you get a wolf down that churro because they're not gonna let you on the phoenix with it you get on a ride with a random that you don't want (laughs) fucking gavin yeah hey buddy um you should really get on a different phoenix gavin is in the phoenix with them when they take off and gavin is a random and gavin apparently came to the theme park by himself today so that'll tell you a lot about what gavin's personality is like oh god I thought I was sad before you said that, and <laughs> there was actually a sub-basement to my sadness. <laughs> I'm not slamming people that go to theme parks by themselves. That's where I keep my memories. Uh, listen, Adam, I know that like 60% of our audience are people that go to theme parks by themselves. <laughs> I would. I would do it tomorrow. I yeah. would do it today. I would call out of this episode. Why didn't you? Get out of here. Go. I'm going to have to do that during your leave. <laughs> Take myself out on a Disney date. You have to 100% solo Disney while I'm gone. That is my rule. Holy shit. Every ride. What a crazy mission. That would be cool, man. No one could tell me not to have the second corn dog. Nobody. I think your wife would be really pleased by the fact that the car is down in Anaheim like a lot of the time. Over the next month. (laughs) Would she be happier about that than you with me uh, charging a lift to the credit card (laughs) to Anaheim? Oh, yeah. Who would get angrier at you? Hmm. I mean, I'm always going to choose my wife in a anger measuring contest. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) She she is hung like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She measures from the base. Uh, Yeah. You could put that on the company card. Five admission tickets. You can put it on the company card. Wow. Well, there's a challenge. Yeah, that's my challenge to you, my friend. That, that, that is now your chair, Captain. Oh, I think this episode was challenged by the estate of Roy Orbison mm. because the reference to the one song jukebox is there and it fucking hits yeah. in a big way, but you don't hear the Orbison. Yeah. You do hear Magic Carpet Ride, which I think was far more economical to get the rights to. I wondered if we were watching a screener where they haven't cleared that track yet and they just had some some temp in place. Wow. I wonder. I wonder if by the time this airs, it will be the Ubi Doobie. <laughs> you got to get the Ubi Doobie song. Like, is there an update on the Ubi Doobie? Yeah, yeah. What? Where are the lawyers at with the Ubi Doobie? <laughs> it's a fun thing to get to ask if you're a Mike McMahon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I think that they set that joke up right where you hear like a snatch of music before the camera switches away. Yeah. So that it it's like, oh, like maybe that was Ubi Doobie and it was just a part I don't recognize. But, uh, to really hit, that joke needs the oopie doobie, and I, I really hope that happens. Could I interrogate your unit of measurement for a part of a song as snatch, a snatch of music? Yeah. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Well, you don't hear an entire cunt of music, Adam. <laughs> I mean, it, once it gets closer to a minute, you're getting into uh, gash territory. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't think that you were going to be able to top me offensiveness-wise. Do not get into an offensiveness measurement contest with me, Buster. Boy, Greatest Discovery was, like, pretty chill. Greatest Trek is fucked up. This ain't your daddy's Star Trek podcast. Greatest Trek really takes it to the extreme. One of the things I really loved about this episode is how... Its camera angles are so familiar when we're talking about the warp ship and its launch. Yeah. And the way it comes out of the ground and the way it it gets up into the atmosphere. Yeah. 
It looks like they fucking rotoscoped the actual film. <laughs> it really does. But I thought it was so funny when the, the first stage turns out to be a hologram that just disappears. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's a awesome. great joke. Yeah. yeah. That's such a joke that only this show could get away with, too. Yeah. Oh, man. So good. Well, they make it to the Cerritos, and the Cerritos is in Space Duck, and the hull plating has not been put back on yet. So presumably they haven't even been grounded for that long. You get, like you would think that they would get right on that, right? I mean, unless the ship itself was evidence somehow, hmm. but it sure doesn't seem like it's treated that way. It's just off by itself. Yeah. I mean, if uh, this wasn't just a drumhead show trial and Freeman wasn't being hung out to dry, yeah. you know, you would think that they would be going through the ship with a fine tooth comb looking for evidence like what Boimler has on his iPad. Yeah. Well, they board the Cerritos and they leave the amusement park ride behind with a Gavin yeah. still aboard. Gavin, who was really scared to go to space initially, has now fully embraced his destiny as an idiot. And uh, <laughs> he flies away. God, it feels like you just eulogized me. <laughs> <laughs> he died how he lived, as an idiot. <laughs> I love the shot out the window of the Phoenix like f flipping around a couple of times before it goes to warp as he gets the hang of the controls. I like that that's a reminder that not everything Rutherford does engineering wise works 100% of the time. You know? Right, right. Yeah, it's good. He got them that far, but sending the ship back wasn't the same. <laughs> yeah. And they get to a familiar location on Lower Decks, the hallway with the bunk beds. Atmospherically, they did that thing that I really loved about some TNG episodes when the ship is dark yeah. and empty. Yeah. It has a different character and it feels ominous and even a little bit scary. But what pokes through any of those feelings in this scene is <laughs> the reading of Boimler's Log, <laughs> which begin as, as like word for word dictations of Freeman's logs and then are editorialized with. The most embarrassing shit. Got caught sniffing the captain's chair again. It's the annotated Freeman, and the annotations are all things that Boimler is going through gastrointestinally. Oh, the alien atmosphere is giving me insane gas. It's really like what would happen if Adam kept his own captain's log. I actually woke myself up. The gas pains were so bad. I just wish I could fart. Part of the comedy of the scene that really hit for me was how sincere Boimler is about still entering these into the record in court. <laughs> don't worry. I don't care that they're embarrassing. Like he's very confident that this is going to help. And Mariner, this might be her rock bottom. She's like, there is no way we can have logs about your gas entered into the record. It's not going to help my mom's case at all. And she despairs here. And they're like, hey, no, like we got to, this is our chance. We got to do it. And talk her into getting on a shuttlecraft and heading back to Earth with this. Like, what else can they do at this point? Yeah. Yeah. But it's a switcheroo. She tricked them, Adam. She slams the back of that Previa shut. The ship goes on autopilot and flies them out, uh, heading back toward Earth. The controls are locked out, and Mariner is uh, heading up to the bridge. Are you stealing the Cerritos? They say she got a bomb from Klingon? Bullshit. I'm going to go find those Klingons and bring them back. Do you hear yeah, yourself right now? She's going to single-handedly take those Klingons on with no hull plating. <laughs> you know what? That's the aspect to this that is the most insane is that <laughs> this is a nude starship. Yeah. It would have no chance of even going to warp, right? Do you think that they gave any consideration to pixelating the nacelles when the hull plating <laughs> came off? God. The prospect here was so exciting uh -huh. because the stealing of a starship it's a special feeling to any Star Trek fan. It really is. May the wind be on our backs. Stations, please. But uh, she doesn't make it very far. We get the majesty of stealing this, the ship out of space dock, but then we're in the shuttle where some classic Star Trek problem solving is going on, and Boimler's like, I've convinced the shuttle that home is not Earth, but the Cerritos. And uh, so the even though we're locked out of the controls, we're headed home. But then another like great joke is the fuck we're going to crash because we're coming in way too hot because the shuttle is anticipating an atmosphere to slow us down. This is a show that really luxuriates in the shuttle accident almost as much as Voyager does. Yeah. 
Almost. I mean, nobody could probably reach that high watermark, but no. they get really close. I bet Chakotay watches this show with great enthusiasm. Mm, yeah. Were he a real person, which he is not. What? <laughs> so they make it up to the bridge, and uh, this is a big Star Trek fight. And you hate to see your Star Trek friends Star Trek fighting each other. Right, because Rutherford is going for the lockouts while the rest of the gang is going for the gang tackle of Mariner. Yeah. Oh, no, you don't. You're not thinking straight. Uh, I don't want to hurt. Uh, to well-established fact, especially by season two, that Mariner whoops their asses on the rigs when they go down and do workouts in the ship's gym. Cutaway comedy is something that the show does very well. Mm -hmm. And the cutaway to the Doc Master Station here is just another example of the great tradition of this show. Yeah. In cutting somewhere else for comedy. We never see these people again. No. But they're here to do exactly what we need them to do. They get the laugh and then we're out. Yeah. These two dudes that are like playing virtual 3D chess and then hit the red alert when they realize the Cerritos is being stolen. I feel like this is how we die on this show. Like a Dockmaster Station style scene yeah. where we're not a part of the action. Yeah, we don't need to be. We're somewhere else. And then the door opens behind us and then we're dead. Put our characters on even lower decks. Yeah. The lowest deck. Yeah. That would be a good name for this show. <laughs> yeah. Turn us into a fucking skid mark. <laughs> Like, everybody wins in that case. We get what we want. Our detractors get what they want. Yeah. Our fans get what they want. Yeah. Win, win, win. All the way around. We need to score a lot of black fast. licensed businessmen. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals, and they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to you. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit, plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscapes.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, there's a new ship. She's got the right name. She's got the right name. Now you remember that you hear. Now you remember that you hear. The fight does not go well for Mariner. They they do wind up getting her locked out. And Mariner has another Dark Knight of the Soul. Her second in, you know, three or four minutes of screen time here. Yeah. And one thing I thought a lot about, which... I had the benefit of having done our entire season rewatch for last week's episode was how much the last season for Mariner was about the way she kind of keeps people at arm's length, the walls she puts up because she has lived a, you know, a military brat lifestyle being constantly demoted and moved around from ship to ship, mm-hmm. always somebody else's problem. And mm-hmm. like these moments are not played for funnies at all. And they feel big because it feels like Mariner being really vulnerable with her friends and dropping those walls a little bit. Right. And and what makes it work is the balance, right? You need you need the mania to crack and crumble to make her falling apart resonate. Like to to make the viewer feel something. Like I think if it's just neutral Mariner finally running into the wall that stops her single-minded mission, I don't think it hits as hard. But like I was actually affected by this moment. And this is I don't think we talk enough about how many gears Tawny Newsom has and has to use on a show like this because you know so much of the Mariner character is the mania. Yeah. But this is this scene is a reminder that there's also like the the pathos here and it really hits. It really worked. I felt the same way. I was really touched by this scene and how much this character is losing hope here. Yeah felt really deep in a way that I like didn't know that a cartoon show could could get to. I felt the same way. It's not an emotion that a cartoon show often goes for. Like I've seen the Simpsons get there. I've never seen South Park get there. Right. I've never seen, you know, Family Guy get there. Like that's some S tier cartoon show shit. Yeah. You know what? It hits all the harder because her friends are with her too, right? Like being in pain or grieving by yourself reads as something different on a show like this than surrounded by your buds. Right. And I and I think that that concentrates the grief here in a really effective way. The thing that cuts the tension is them being saved by the horny aliens. It turns out that that pink cloud of aliens is incoming. It's the Verugaman. Veruga what? And they surround the ship and start to fuck on the surface of the ship. They start to kind of like land on the nude hull and start passing gametes back and forth. Oh, so magical. It's real nasty, Adam. It's a orgy? When you don't have hull plating, you're basically getting raw dogged here. <laughs> right? Yeah. Not safe. They're all up into your systems. They don't know where these aliens have been. Yeah. Yeah, they came from far away. And they're still coming. Yeah. So another big storyline in the previous season was Tendi needing to like learn how to assert herself. And that's what happens here. Tendi kind of takes charge of the mission. And like self-actualize into a scientist, which she becomes in this scene too, right? Right. She barks at the Starfleet security people that are you know, asking them whether they have authorization to be here doing this. This is a rare scientific event. We must not be interrupted. Interrupted? We're coming aboard. Just stay where you are. They come into the cargo bay and find the the gang getting shocked by tentacles and moving, I guess, is sort of macro come <laughs> back and forth between aliens. I got to say, like, I don't know who gets the credit for this. Is it the Titmouse people? <laughs> but, like, this show is great at the orifice. Yeah. Like, 
Like we're seeing a lot of things going in and out of orifices, season in and season out on this show. Mm. So lifelike. <laughs> so disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. But there's no substitute for first first hand data. They really sell this. The security guys wind up totally buying the lie. I mean, Cronenberg is on Star Trek Discovery, but I feel like he would really like this show. <laughs> I like him. Right? Yeah. Starfleet security is reliably kind of shitty at security. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't a wharf problem. Yeah. So they wind up uh, getting up to the point where these guys are going to walk out of here, but they're just like, yeah, we just need to check with your commanding officer who uh, told you you could do this. And just like Mariner earlier in the episode when she walked into Cisco's right at the right moment. Great callback. Captain Freeman walks into the cargo bay right at the right moment and takes the heat for this mission. Starfleet security are out of there. Everybody's like, mom, like what's going on? How are you not in jail? How did that trial not wind up being the end of your career? And uh, she, she tells a yarn that features Captain Kelsey Grammer being part of the elite mission team that uncovered the exculpatory evidence. I love the kit bashing of a Captain Morgan Bateson and a chain of command mission style episode. <laughs> yeah. Your vessel is not familiar to us. It's a trap. Come on. I want to randomize that shit across all of Star Trek. Like right, right. a tertiary character and a weird plot. Totally. They've got to have that in the writer's room of this show. There's like two wheels they can spin. Yeah, there's tertiary characters on the outer wheel and yeah. random plot device on the inner wheel and you get them to line up and you can go write an episode based on that. Or just one joke based on that, you know? And it's your porn name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked this. It's kind of a deus ex Kelsey Grammer, but it's also like the illustrations of the scenes. I don't know if we got this so early that we saw animatic of that or mm -hmm. if that's what it's actually going to look like on the stream. But like, I kind of liked the kind of just high spec illustration of everything to show us that like an exciting motion picture level story was happening in the background of this episode the entire time. And that like this episode will always humiliate its main characters as being like, yeah, you were doing like little shit while big shit was happening. <laughs> I, I love how true to its own values the show is in a moment like that. Yeah. I had assumed Ben that the Freeman on trial storyline would last several episodes. I was very surprised that yeah. that was being tied into a bow here. What's in the package is that Bateson's chain of command mission revealed that the footage was forged that Freeman was in. That was like the main evidence against Freeman. Right. Cameo by Tuvok here. Yeah. Going in with two hands. Tim Russ and Kelsey Grammer getting a little love in this episode. That's fun. Are you hurt? If you're Tim Russ and you see your character on screen, but you aren't able to voice it, that's got to be a feeling, right? Yeah, I don't know. I can't imagine Kelsey Grammer gives any fucks about that, right? <laughs> Kelsey Grammer, who famously was the guest at the Star Trek convention and never talked about the episode he was in. <laughs> I think Tim Russ talks about his own work at Star Trek conventions, so yeah. I think he'd have different feelings about this. Right. Interesting though, right? Like I'm not suggesting that he could or should be pissed, but I'm saying like if I played a character for as long as he did and I saw that character appear somewhere else mm -hmm. and I wasn't involved somehow. Yeah, it'd be like, hey, like I'll pick up the phone. Give me a call. Totally. I mean, it goes by so fast. There's not really anything for Tuvok to say in this moment. It's true. It's unfair for me to judge it like that. I get it. So Captain Freeman is back. She is going to be... The captain of the Cerritos. She's not getting that promotion that she was anticipating in the previous episode, as far as I can tell. But uh, this is great news, except for if you are one of the four main characters of the show, because three of them have to clean up all the cum in the cargo bay, and Mariner has to get her own even specialer punishment. Yeah, it's not leveled by Starfleet, really, either. It's, it's an interesting combination, right? It's the punishment leveled by two parents who also work for the org. Right. So like they have the power to administratively punish her, but that's also coming from a 
familial place. It does sort of feel like a family meeting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the punishment for Mariner is that she's really going to be reporting to Ransom at this point. Like, she is not going to be Captain Sidekick this season. As far as you're concerned, Mariner, I'm your mama now. Well, I mean, this is an interesting reversal of one of the stories of season two, which was Ransom's resentment of Mariner's station and having to play second fiddle to her. I think the potential for this is really interesting if Ransom is is put above her in this way. Yeah. And uh, we shall see how that plays out on season three of Lower Decks. Adam, did you like this episode? I really did. I've missed this show quite a bit. It's so fun and funny. The jokes are legitimately funny to me. Even thinking about them and talking about them after the fact, they delight me. Yeah. The secret sauce of this episode specifically, though, is that grounding of the story in this distrust of institutions and the payoff at the end of your faith not being misplaced. And it doesn't hit you over the head with that, but that is like a main thrust to the thing. Right. And it was interesting to think about in those terms. Like this is not just a broad comedy. It still, like any Star Trek show, has something to say. Yeah, absolutely. And I really appreciated it for that reason. What about you, Ben? I did too. I really like this episode. I'm right there with you, appreciating it being back. And I felt like they made a very tricky puzzle for themselves to solve at the end of the last episode. And they solved it in such a, like in retrospect, obviously lower Dexy way. Yeah. That is really funny to me. And I thought the, the jokes hit. And I also thought that the heavier feelings in this episode really hit. And I think that that is a sign of a show that is really coming into its own. Yeah. Like the salt brings out the sugar, right? Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to the rest of the season because of that. Same, same great show. Well, do you want to see if there's any great priority one messages in the greatest Trek inbox? Ben, none of them have their hull plating on. Yeah. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Ben, we've got two promotional messages in the inbox for this one. Can you believe it? For the inaugural episode of Greatest Trek? That's great. I don't think this has ever happened before. That's going to cover all of the costs of retooling our logo and uh, coming up with new theme music. and Ben, not even close. <laughs> <laughs> but we sure do appreciate the promo messages starting with our first one. The message goes like this Hello, beloveds. It's Mary and Kathy. Invading this podcast like a gua old invades a human brain so we can tell you about stargating. <laughs> if you'd like a review of Stargate SG1 mixed with a bit of real science and history, random tangents, and dumb jokes, then give our pot a try. Spelled S-T-A-R-G-A-T-E-Z-I-N-G. Unlike a go-old parasite, we will now allow Ben and Adam to take that control. (laughs) Or so you think. Dun-dun-dun to commercial. But wait, this is the commercial. Dun-dun-dun, back to podcast. Wow. So check out Stargating wherever you get your podcasts. The uh, Stargazing Twitter account is uh, a fun Twitter account that I've interacted with a few times. They seem fun and funny, and I bet if you're into Stargate, you'll enjoy their podcast. They're also longtime supporters of Greatest Gen. Like They, they get into our P1s all the time, and we are really grateful yeah. for them. Thank you, Mary and Kathy. Our next commercial Priority One message goes like this. Trying to hire software engineers can feel like being trapped in anybody can. If you're still using recruiters and job boards to find engineers, you're only flying at warp 3 when you could be doing warp 9.5 with Elastic Workforce by Innovent. No recruiter fees or commissions, no upfront costs, and no minimum contracts. Just hire quality software engineers on demand for as long as you need them. Visit Innovent.us to learn more about Elastic Workforce and our 100% money-back satisfaction guarantee. 
That's I-N-N-O-V-A-N-T dot U-S. This sounds like a great way to staff up a, a software development scheme, Adam. You know, previous to this, the only elastic workforce I was familiar with was how my pants felt after uh, going out to a, a big fancy dinner. Mm. <laughs> yeah, we always wear a, a stretchy pant when we make an episode of Factory Seconds. Gotta do that, yeah. If you're looking to hire software developers, why not hire software developers from a company clearly run by Friends of DeSoto? Yeah, they would be my first call, for sure. This is amazing. This is like the the most legitimate sounding like corporate ad we've ever gotten as a P1. No. Good job, Innovent. Thanks for helping out Greatest Trek. I can't make my army of Rashans alone. <laughs> Which is why I hired my entire workforce over Innovent. Innovent.us had the brilliant minds, and not just one brilliant mind, but all brilliant minds I needed to staff up the software teams that helped design the thrusting motion of my real dolls. <laughs> When I patented the Leonardo da Vinci thrusting action, <laughs> I knew I could take my Rashan dolls straight to market. <laughs> Thanks to Innovent. Well, I hope people will go to Innovent.us and I hope Innovent doesn't regret <laughs> supporting us too much. Uh, if you'd like to get the word out about something or say hi to a friend or a loved one, Head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and set one up today. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? Edward Larkin! I did. I think I'm going to give it to Boimler for the Boimler estate (laughs) discussion we had earlier. Like, that joke felt like it was the setup and not the punchline. Yeah, like we're going to go back to that place and we're going to get another dose of whatever that is. Yeah, but in being the setup and not the punchline, I was left with this like crazy tension, like what the fuck was that? And I am really eager to find out. And because it was so incongruous and silly, yeah, Boimler is my Edward Larkin for that scene. Mm, good call. How about yourself? I mean, I think I'm going to give mine to Tendi who thought on her feet very well when confronted with the security team FaceTime, opened up the cargo bay door, let in those uh, Mm -hmm. sexing purple grimaces, (laughs) and then like uh, helped them do the work. That's a crazy idea by Tendi. Yeah, yeah. But she sells it and she makes it happen in a very Edward Larkin kind of way. Edward Larkin, a science man. Yeah, at the end of the day, a science man. Right. And Tendi, having all of those great science person qualities, steered the story into the ridiculous in a very fun way. So that's why she's my Edward Larkin. I dig it. Well, Adam, this has been a really fun episode of Greatest Trek. The first ever episode of Greatest Trek. Yeah. How did we do? Now's the time to review it, I think. Yeah, if you get a uh, nice thing to say about the first ever episode of Greatest Trek, we would sure appreciate you heading to Apple Podcasts and leaving one there. If you got something nasty to say, put it on Reddit, write it on a piece of paper and stick it up your butt, asshole. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Hey, Adam, new segment for the greatest track that we're going to do going forward is shout out a nice message from somebody on Twitter. We also really want to encourage folks to get on social media and say what they like about the show in a way that other people can see and potentially find the show. I wanted to shout out a tweet that is pretty old at this point. It's from uh, at Razakam, R-A-Z-A-K-A-M. Razakam said, I'm hashtag long COVID wipe today. So my hashtag Trek Tuesday will be listening to the brilliant at greatest Trek podcast reviews of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. I'm getting addicted to their brilliant show. That was uh, such a, I mean, I, I feel really bad that this person is, uh, is suffering from long COVID. I know that a ton of people are out there going through that, and that is super rough. But uh, to take a bad day and turn it into a really nice message is a way that uh, I'm inspired to be going forward. So I really appreciated that tweet. And um, 
yeah, I hope if you'd like to get your name shouted out on the show, you'll consider tweeting or doing an Instagram post or something about how much you like the show. And Yeah, what a nice thing. We'll have Bill keep his eyes peeled for those and send them in, and uh, we'll start mentioning them at the end of episodes mm. on Greatest Trek. What a nice way to end. Yeah. The only nicer way to end that I can think of involves our great producer, Wendy Pretty. Yeah, who has a like real professional radio voice and information that you're going to need for next week. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. Coming up on the show next week, it's Lower Decks Season 3, Episode 2, The Least Dangerous Game. On a tropical paradise planet, Mariner questions Commander Ransom on how he structures his away team, and Boimler makes a bold career decision. Thanks to Adam Ragusea for the new original music you're hearing on the show this week. Find his podcast and YouTube cooking channel by searching for Adam Ragusea. And thanks to Nick Dittmore for the new show art. And of course, thanks to Bill Tilly for running the Uxbridge Shimoda social media pages. Make sure you're following at Greatest Trek on Instagram and Twitter and use the hashtag Greatest Trek to talk about the show online. We always appreciate your ratings and reviews, and if you're in a position to support the show financially, you can do that at MaximumFun.org slash join, or by booking a P1 at MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. Play it again! Play it again! I'm only going to tell you this once. That is now your chair, Captain. My friends, the great experiment. The greatest trick, trick, trick. Hidden trick, trick. Would you look at that? The greatest trick, trick. And you people, you're all astronauts. Are some kind of star trick, trick. The greatest trick. shortly become the care of another crew. They will continue the voyages we have begun. The greatest trick. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. Unknown. Black alert. Unknown. Black alert. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. Let's fly. Uncertainty. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. Something discovery. Unknown. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. Shush. Unknown. On my mark, go fast. The greatest trick is yet to come. To come. Well, there's a new ship. She's got the right name. She's got the right name. Now you remember that, you hear? That, 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 that is now your chair, Captain. Well, there's a new ship. Org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.